I thank you in advance this morning for your grace. If my brain conks out, I'm not firing on all cylinders this morning. Um, Danette and I were uh, taking Jasmine to BWI to send her to Chicago to be with a dear friend and her crib mate when she was a wee one. Um, And the uh, flight was delayed. And uh, I lost some precious hours writing my sermon. So I was up very, very early this morning. Let us pray together. Dear God, you who are ever present and yet invisible to our eyes, we ask you this morning yet again for the help of your Holy Spirit as we seek to know you and especially to love you more fully. And we pray that your Spirit would guide us a few steps closer today. Just a few steps closer to the truth of who you really are. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Creator, provider, savior, father, mother, rock, warrior, wind, potter, judge, and shepherd. These are just a few of the images that the Bible gives us so that we might come to know God. And when Jesus came along, He added yet a few more, especially Abba. Paradoxically, each of these images helps us to glimpse more fully who God is, and yet at the same time, God is so much bigger, so much more wonderful, so much more beyond all of our images, even when they're all taken together as a whole. God is still beyond all of that. In my email this week, I invited you to do a bit of reflection about your own earliest images for God. Perhaps when you were a little child or when you first came to faith. What were those images? And were they shaped perhaps by a parent or grandparent, a teacher or a mentor? And over time, how have your images for God remained the same or changed quite profoundly? And here's a really intimate question When you pray, how do you speak and address God? What's your love language like with God? You know, I still remember my surprise in seminary 20 years back when I first Heard, I actually read one theologian say that God is neither male nor female. 
This person wrote that the Bible's images for God are all analogies and metaphors. They are all fingers pointing at the moon, but they are not the moon. God is not made in the image of women and men. We are made in the image of God. And since then, I've spent a lot of time thinking. I probably wrote a paper about it in seminary. I've forgotten since then. But why did I find the thought of God being beyond gender so shocking? Why was this such a surprise to me? And I can only guess that it was because almost all the language I'd ever heard about God growing up was all male. It was all him and he. And deep within me, though I completely believed in the equality of men and women, I still had to admit, I, in my depths, believed that God was male. That's why it was such a shock to me. And so this morning I'd like to turn, first of all, to the chapter, the first chapter in our Bible, because here we find a very short passage that has especially reshaped my own earlier understanding of God. Let me read it again. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image God created them, male and female, God created them. Here it is revealed that every single human being, every woman and man, is created in the image and in the likeness of God. Every human being is infinitely precious because a bit of God's own self has been placed in each of us. Period. And I've come to believe that what this means is that when God looks upon women and girls... God sees a reflection of herself. And when God looks upon men and boys, God sees a reflection of himself. Another implication of this passage is that both women and men are fully needed in order for us to be able to image God to the world. It also means that if only one gender is doing all the imaging, know what I'm talking about? If only one gender is doing all the mirroring of God, we're going to end up with an image that is quite unfaithful, partial, unbalanced, and even distorted. For me, one of the biggest implications of this passage is that we need both female and male images of God for each of us to be able to fully 
know and love God ourselves. And the Bible actually presents a full range of images for God. Most of them, it is true, are male. Almost all of them, it is true, are male. But one source says that there are at least 30 of them in Scripture, 30 of them, that refer to God in feminine or female ways. And yet, as we all know, the church has mostly emphasized only the male images, especially Lord and King and Father. Now, I want to be very careful here. Because I know for some of us sitting here today, and I say this with great respect, that these male images have brought you into a deeply meaningful and significant and life-giving relationship with God. But for others of us here, especially women, and some men as well, who have experienced perhaps abuse from a father or a male figure in their lives, hearing only male images in the church can feel especially painful, alienating, and can even slam the door shut on our experiencing and meeting God in worship. In our faith, there's something called the principle of likeness. As Christians and as Christian communities, we become like the God we image. You ever thought about that? So many Christians and Jews and Muslims are violent because their image of God is vindictive and violent. And so we need to pay great attention to how we understand God. And when God is understood and imaged only as male, we tend to create systems around us that are more hierarchical, more power-oriented, and that even tolerate the abuse of the vulnerable among us. And I think it's especially sad that when male images of God are absolutized, carved in stone as it were, women and girls are often led to feel like their voices and their bodies don't matter as much as men's. That God's image is not in them as fully as it is in the other gender. When masculine imagery for God is privileged, we also lose the Bible's crucial witness to other more female images for God. The God who has given birth to us. The God, all of these are from Scripture, by the way, who carries us on her bosom. The God who wills our well-being, 
as a mother wills the well-being of the children of her womb. The God who is attached to us with a love that is so tender it will never let us go. And the God who, when her children are threatened, can become mighty, fierce, and protective. Like a mother bear. (laughs) That's in the Bible. And a mother hen. And so today, one of my central pleas for us as a congregation is for all of us, especially me, to work harder, to include the full biblical witness to God in our language and in our worship, to welcome the full range of all the biblical imagery, because we inevitably become like the God we image. It's important. Over the past decade, Psalm 131, it's our call to worship today, and you can also see on your, in your bulletin on the opposite page a poem inspired by this psalm. This psalm has become one of the most precious places in Scripture for me in my prayer life with God. Because it is, I believe, a wonderful description of what prayer can be all about. Prayer can be like a child crawling up on the lap of her mother. And more recently, this psalm has become all the more precious to me Now you have to give me some grace here, I'm a man. Because I finally noticed that word weaned. Didn't know what that meant, really. I know. Sorry. All right, men. Weaned children climb up on their mother's lap. Not to receive milk or some goody, but simply for the sheer joy of being on her lap, in her presence, of laying our head on her chest and listening to her heartbeat. The delight comes simply from being with one another and delighting in one another's presence. Another image that has reshaped my own imaging of God comes from Jesus and his description in Luke 15 of God persistently searching and seeking and sweeping the whole house for a lost coin. And then throwing a party when the lost coin is found. God is like that woman. And this has been so helpful and wonderful to me in my own faith journey to imagine God's own seeking and searching and sweeping for me during the eight years that we were not in relationship. All right, but I'm hearing some people wondering if 
God is beyond gender, then how come Jesus refers to God as Father 175 times? And teaches us to pray to God as Father. Indeed, this week I was at lunch on Thursday. I was opening the Mennonite Weekly Review. Any of you read it this week? And there's an article by Tim Bench, pastor at Souderton Mennonite. And in that piece he says that we miss something profound when we all try to avoid, not all of us, but when some of us try to avoid or stop referring to God as Father. We are in danger, he says, of making God into an impersonal and distant deity. I encourage you to read the article. Because Jesus addressing God as Abba, was a Copernican revolution in his Jewish faith. It was a complete paradigm shift in their understanding of God. It may surprise you, but God as Father is a very rare image in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. You can find it in Isaiah 63 and 64 once each time. Jesus takes us away from the hierarchy of feudal and monarchical language into the intimacy of family relations. And I would argue with my brother Tim that the Jesus revolution in imagery for God is not about the maleness of God, His deep shift is about inviting all of us to enter into the same kind of personal and intimate relationship with God that he had. And so, for this reason, ten years ago, in my own prayer life with God, I started praying to God as Abba. And honestly, when I say Abba, the last thing on my mind is God's gender. It's all about intimacy, communion, relationship. And when I pray to God as Abba, it connects me with Jesus. He's the one who showed me how to do this. It also connects me with Chinese, because in Chinese, father is Baba, Abba. Let me close. I don't know if there's anything more personal than how each of us addresses God. And here at East Chestnut, our worship commission has tried to be respectful of this reality by giving each of us space 
when praying the Lord's Prayer, for example, to address God in the way each of us finds most helpful. It's not a perfect solution. Some of us, or some of you, have told us it's mighty awkward sometimes. Some of us find it painful to hear God referred to as Father. Some of us find it equally painful to hear God referred to as Mother. What are we going to do? Bear with one another in love. Because this is not about political correctness. This is about making space for each and every one of us to meet God here at East Chestnut every Sunday morning. That's what it's about. I hope this uh, sermon has launched us all to do a bit more reflection about who God is to us. And I would really encourage each of you to have a conversation this week with a sister or brother here about what has come up for you. Because when we talk with one another about how we know and address God, we are entering into the holy of holies of one another's faith. And when we find differences, which we surely, surely will because of our lives, let us approach these differences with great reverence and gentleness. Amen.